Hey, it's great to be with you today. If we haven't met, my name is Jacintha and I'm one of the pastors here at HTVB. I wonder if you've ever had to keep a secret. I remember a time when I was in university and one of my best friend's birthdays was two weeks after mine. Our other friend said to me, hey, let's put together a surprise birthday party for June. And because she's one of my best friends, I kept the secret as best as I could. It wasn't easy because we all lived in the same dorm together. And so when it came time for her surprise birthday party, I walked into the room ready to surprise her, but they surprised me also. It turns out that they had said the same to her and planned a double birthday celebration for the both of us. But you know, ever since becoming a parent, we've begun to learn that secrets aren't all that straightforward. There are good secrets like birthday surprises or engagement proposals, but then there are also not-so-good secrets, information about a secret activity or lifestyle that you can't tell anyone about. And simply because you're the only person who knows it, it weighs you down. So my husband Abel and I, we have drilled it into our three-year-old Levi that we don't keep secrets. If anyone ever does anything to him and says to keep it a secret, he needs to come and tell us right away. Until one day, while just playing around, Abel said to him, Hey Levi, can I tell you a secret? And Levi said to Abel, We don't keep secrets, Daddy. It had backfired on us. In our passage today, we're going to look at a fascinating story involving a secret mission. It's found in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua chapter 2, right before the wall of Jericho fell. And it's a story about Rahab, a prostitute, and an interaction she has with two spies sent by the leader of the Israelites, Joshua. It's a really interesting story. And as we look at it, I want to ask the question, what does this passage tell us about God's character, about who God is? And although there is so much to say about God's character, I want to focus today on three things, God's sovereignty, His goodness, and His love. So let me read the passage. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Then Joshua, son of Nun, that actually is his name, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. That actually is the name of the place. He said, go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this Message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now let's just pause there for a moment. These guys were supposed to be spies on a secret mission. But within the first three verses, we see not only that the king of Jericho knew that they were in Jericho, but also where they were in Rahab's house and what they were doing, spying out the whole land. So it's either they weren't very good spies and probably need to pick up some tips from Ethan Hunt slash Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, or this mission to enter Jericho wasn't as under the radar as they thought it would be. Continuing on in verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So not only did Rahab lie about the men, she sent the king's men off in the wrong direction. 
in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in a fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And this was referring to a moment not so long ago when God parted the Red Sea for the people of Israel as they escaped Egypt. And then word got out throughout the ancient world, including to these people. And she continued, When you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Verse 11, When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Amen. Now, there are three things we see in this passage about who God is. The first is that in the midst of the walls of Jericho falling down, God's sovereignty is a rock on which to stand. Do you ever wonder whether God is really in control in the world we're living in? Like you've got to wonder, after days of trying to get those tickets to the Coldplay concert, you know, you got up early, you stayed up late, you were online the whole day. Your friend, which with much slower internet bandwidth, managed to get those Coldplay tickets, but you didn't. Where's the justice in that? But also, as you read about all that's happening around the world, war and poverty and suffering, maybe you're facing an injustice in your life and it's made you wonder if God is truly sovereign, if He's really the King of Kings as He says He is, and if He's still on the throne. If there's one thing I want to encourage you from this passage about who God is, is that God is sovereign, He keeps His promises, and that His words have weight. In fact, the entire book of Joshua captures the story of how God leads the Israelites into the promised land. It was promised to them. And this book tells us about how God kept His promise. You see, the Israelites were taken as slaves in Egypt. And scripture tells us that God said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out. And I'm concerned about their suffering. God's promise was to take them somewhere better, a land flowing with milk and honey. And that land was Canaan. And Jericho was one of the key military outposts that they needed to face before they could inherit that land. Now, up until this point, Moses had been leading the Israelites. He led them through the wilderness for 40 years. And then right as they were on the cusp of entering the promised land, Moses dies. But right before he dies, he passes on his mantle of leadership to Joshua. And so Joshua chapter 1 picks up from this point. Let's read together from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Are you holding on to a promise that a loved one made to you? I love the story of this nurse, Elizabeth, who works in a healthcare facility with elderly patients. She has lunch every day with a particular patient with dementia. And so she put this card right by her bedside table and it says, 
I promise I will come and have lunch with you tomorrow because I said I would. And every day without fail, when she arrives at this patient's room to have lunch with her, she would look up at Elizabeth and smile and say, Ah, you remembered. The sovereignty of God means His words have weight. It means His word is a firm foundation when all around you feels like sinking sand. And that means that you can trust Him. You can trust His limitless strength. You can trust His infinite power to mete out justice. You can trust the fact that He knows all things and sees all things. But more than that, you can trust in His unending presence with you. You know, sometimes when our son Levi has had a bad dream or if it's raining heavily and there's thunder, Levi would call to us in the middle of the night. Now, the thing about Levi is he has this funny quirk. He doesn't really like my hair. He thinks it always gets in his way. And every time it does, from a very young age, he'd go, Oh, mama hair, mama hair. His distaste for my hair even extends to other fibrous, hairy things. And it's like in his mind, he's created a category of his own. Icky, hairy things equals to mama hair. Like he once had the fiber from a piece of corn stuck in his teeth. And he was like, oh, mama hair. So on this night, I get up from bed. I rush into his room and he's crying. And I pick him up and I say to him, Don't worry, mama's here. Mama's here. And then he comes down. And then in the quiet of the night, he then yells, But your mama hair's in my face. As Levi's parent, I had the power to pick him up from his cot and use my words to assure him of my presence. But my power is limited. You know, I wouldn't be able to stop his bad dreams as much as I would love to. But God, our Heavenly Father, He has infinite power to keep all the promises He makes. You see, in our passage today in chapter 2, Joshua was about to step into one of the greatest battles recorded in Scripture. And I can imagine as he readied the army, as he sent out the two spies, as they surveyed the land, etched in Joshua's mind was the promise that God had given him just a chapter before. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. But God's promise continues on. He then says in verse 5, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I love that because God's promise is not just that He would carry out justice in the face of injustice, but that His presence will be with you, that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And maybe this is something you need to hear today. God has never forgotten you. He has never left you. God is not just a powerful king. He is a present father. His promise is found in His power, but is also discovered in His presence. So God is sovereign, but also secondly, God is good and His goodness brings the outsider in. You may have heard of the term main character syndrome. Now, it's not a mental disorder, but what it is, is it's a mindset when people, you know, primarily those in Gen Z, when they position themselves as the leading actors and actresses of their day-to-day lives. It's a phenomenon that's become so popular that there are more than 170 million videos in social media tagged with main character energy. You know, I read that a market research company that focused on millennials and Gen Z said that 55% over half of Gen Zs and millennials see themselves as the main character of their lives. But in true Gen Z fashion, a new movement has now risen. Hashtag not the main character. 
Because seeing yourself as a main character has become too mainstream, it is now totally okay to see yourself as a side character. And so, while it might be tempting for us to see ourselves in the character of Joshua, who has always seemed to me like the main character of this story, I thought today we would shift our lens to a supporting character in the story. Someone slightly unexpected, and yet is hugely significant in the big story of God's rescue plan. There are levels of unexpected in her story. Not only is she a Canaanite, but also she's a woman, and then she's a prostitute. Her name is Rahab, aka hashtag not the main character. And I wonder, what if we're more like Rahab than Joshua? Now, not much is told to us of her background. All we know is that she's had a tainted past, a controversial reputation, and she was rejected by society apart from what she could give. She worked as a prostitute, and she lived at the border of the city. Verse 15 says, her house was part of the city wall. And if you looked at how society was ordered at the time, you know that prostitutes were as marginalized as they could get. They lived their lives as social outcasts. You know, no little girl ever dreams about being a prostitute when she grows up. One doesn't simply choose this life. Rahab probably ended up doing this because she no longer had the protection of a husband or family members and needed to earn a living to survive. And it meant that rather than people talking to her, they would talk about her. Rather than people valuing her, they would use her. Rahab was an outsider. Even the place she lived, the border of the city, was a picture of her status in society. And I wonder if you've ever felt like an outsider. You know, all of us have a need to belong. And although we're as connected digitally as we can possibly be, loneliness has never been greater. In fact, loneliness has reached epidemic levels. An American doctor, Dr. Murthy, said this, There are now more adults struggling with loneliness than have diabetes. And yet think about the discrepancy in the attention that we give to these two conditions. Rahab was an outsider. But what happens in a story? You see, although the two spies who turned up at her home were Israelites, basically the enemy, it says in verse 6 that she took them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. Why did she do that? You know, if she had been found out, she would have been punished by death. But as we read on, the conversation she has with the two spies tell us why. She says in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She then says, I've heard all about what God has been doing for you, how He dried up the Red Sea. And then she confesses something she's come to believe. The Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. You see, one theory about the spies is that they weren't going in to take information about the land because Joshua had already done that when he sent the 12 spies to survey the land. This time, the spies were going in to give the people of Jericho a, a warning, to tell them about God and to help them to turn to Jesus before the wall of Jericho fell. And as sovereign as God is in His plan to destroy the wall of Jericho, so is His goodness in showing up to the socially outcast. God's view of the world is immeasurable, and yet He never forgets the one. To share the love of Jesus, the two spies went to a brothel, the most unlikely of places, and in that space, God saw Rahab. Beyond her professional job, He heard her profession of faith. 
God's goodness brings the outsider in. A few weekends ago, we had our Alpha Weekend Away in Malacca. Kim, one of our amazing volunteers, you'll often see him um, at church on a Sunday in a red t-shirt. He was serving on the Sage TBB team during the weekend. But he's also from Malacca. And so his mom, Molly, joined one of the groups for their meals. And she shared that she had met a woman on a bus on the way from KL to Malacca a few months ago. This woman had been undergoing treatment for cancer. And then she said to the group, shall we go and pray for this woman? And this amazing group, they could have gone off to Jonker Street for some chindol or chicken rice balls, but the Saturday afternoon, they chose to go to the hospital and share the love of Jesus with this woman. This woman came to faith in Jesus. And I love this story because although this woman was a complete outsider to this alpha group, the love of Jesus compelled them to bring her in. But what's most fascinating about Rahab's story is that despite her background, it was her profession of faith and her actions that day that led to life-changing consequences. She left her job as a prostitute. And then in Matthew's Gospel, it records this in verse 5, chapter 1. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Rahab married Salmon, which actually is his name. <laughs> they gave birth to Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, and Obed's mother was Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of King David. So Rahab, although her story begins with her being known as a prostitute, she becomes the great-grandmother to the king of Israel, King David. And not only that, much further down the line, one of her descendants would be Jesus himself. Rahab is one of five women mentioned in Jesus' family tree in Matthew's Gospel and one of two women mentioned as one of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Rahab is now remembered throughout history, not as Rahab the harlot, but Rahab the hero. Before God did something through her story, He did something in her story. And it all points back to His goodness. And so God is infinitely sovereign. He's unendingly good. But thirdly, God's love is a scarlet cord in times of need. What do I mean by this? Well, let's go back to the passage and read the rest of the story from verses 15 to 21. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house that she was living in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the man had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now Rahab had an agreement with the two spies that she would not reveal their whereabouts and in exchange, they would keep her safe. But how would the Israelites know to keep Rahab and her family safe? 
It all hinged on this one sign, a scarlet cord in the window of her home. But did you know that the color scarlet, a bright red color, is often associated with mystery and promiscuity? Even throughout history and, and in books and movies, there's the Scarlet Letter, a classic novel about an adulterous woman. There's A Study in Scarlet, a Sherlock Holmes story about a mysterious wall painted in blood. And then there's The Scarlet Witch, otherwise known as Wanda Maximoff from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so it wouldn't be surprising if the scarlet cord that Rahab used to let the spies down was more commonly used to signify the activities in the home she lived in. She would put out the scarlet cord to signify the fact that it was a brothel, so people from the outside knew whether or not to go in. In many ways, it was a signboard to the city of her shame. But why do you think the writer of the book of Joshua took the time to write such a detailed account of this story, even describing how the scarlet cord would be used. Well, the Hebrew word for cord is tikva, which means to bind together, but it also means to look forward to. It implies anticipation, a sense of certainty that something will happen. And so depending on context, this word could either mean rope or hope. In other words, the rope that symbolized her shame would now be transformed into a symbol of her hope. And this picture of hope isn't just an abstract idea, but something tangible that you can literally grab a hold of, the way the two spies held it to be let down. And it reminds me of another story in scripture when God was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He sent 10 plagues to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelites from slavery. But to protect the Israelites, he instructed them to take some of the blood from the animal sacrifices and mark the top of their doorposts with the blood. And that would be a sign any destructive plague would pass over those homes with blood marked over their doors. In the same way the plagues pass over the Israelite homes because of the blood-marked doors, destruction passed over Rahab's home because of the scarlet cord. The scarlet cord was Rahab's only hope in this time of crisis. I chatted recently with a pastor, Pastor Jacob, who uh, leads a church in the east coast of West Malaysia. He led it for many years. He told me that the town he was in was actually quite hostile towards him and his church, but his church grew and it gained a reputation. And so one evening during a service, a group of guys came into the church while he was preaching and they stood at the back and clearly indicated that they were up to no good. They said to him that he needed to follow them into their car. Now this pastor used to be in the military, so he wasn't worried, and so he went along. But then they brought him to a secluded spot, and when they all got out of the car, they tried to beat him up. But as much as they tried, they couldn't bring themselves to beat him up. It was as if an invisible force was protecting Pastor Jacob, so nothing could touch him. At the end of the night, Pastor Jacob was reminded again of God's ability to rescue him in times of need. You see, as we look at Rehab's story, we see a God who isn't just sovereign, which signifies His greatness, a God who isn't just good, which signifies His morality, but more than that, a God who is so loving that He would give up His life so that we might live. Rehab's faith points to Jesus, that she put her life on the line, but that Jesus' body hung on the cross. You see, because of Jesus, we can have a scarlet hope, a hope bought by His blood shed on the cross. In Him, we find our righteousness. 
In Him, new hope is offered to us. In Christ, God Himself suffered violence so that violence might be ended forever. Because God is sovereign, because God is good, and because He loves you and gave up His life that you might freely live. Amen. I'm just going to take a moment to pray now and wherever you're watching this from, you might just want to put out your hands like this. It just signifies that we're open to hearing from the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to pray that ancient prayer. Come Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now? I think there might be someone here and you resonated with that word about um, keeping a secret and you feel burdened by something that you're holding on to. And I think the Lord wants to encourage you that you can share it with Him. He is safe and you can go to Him and um, confess your secret uh, life to Him. But also I think there might be someone here and um, you resonate with that sense of not feeling a sense of belonging. And I think God wants to minister to you. We would love to be able to pray for anyone here who would like prayer. Um, the team will get in touch with you. Um, but for now, let's finish with this final song of worship.